think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we are here with our post-credits episode, which means you get a top five list where we share our top five film something or another, uh, and our AT recommend, ATE recommends where we share what we're into right now, something we're watching or listening to or reading or any number of things. Uh, so that's what you're in for in the next half hour or so. Phil, tell people what we're talking about in our top five list today. Yeah, we're going to be talking about our favorite top five serial killer movies. Yes, a nice cheerful subject. Yes, uh, it's, uh, close to my heart. I was going to say, the we films, the films, not the serial killers. Right. Yeah, maybe. For for people who are longtime listeners of the show, uh, you will know that Phil has a tendency to bring serial killers into his after the endings, um, which it's, yeah, it's just a natural progression, though. Like Bambi, it, obviously, it's going to turn you know serial killer. I think what's funny is you know we joke about it a lot. It's not like you do it all the time. No, right? no, no. It no. is like every it was like every ten episodes or so. But we also used to do two after the endings per episode, right? So you figure over the course of a hundred episodes, it's a lot of endings you got to come up with. So sometimes it's just sort of natural to introduce. I think I'm sure I know for a fact I repeated elements in my. Endings. Yeah, I, th I think the thing was though some of them were was when they'd be a serial killer in a film, or you just wouldn't expect it, and it was quite a bit of a. I swear, but it always made sense at the time. Right, right. I, I, I'm, yeah, that's definitely not a criticism. It's oh, just, no, 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 no. The, uh, you know, I, the, the, like I said, the longtime listeners will get a chuckle out of us talking about our serial killer films because they're like, oh, this is right up Phil's alley. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. It's funny though, because they're not like my favorite kind of films, but I do like uh, it is, well, serial killers just seem to capture the public, you know, capture the public's, uh, we always want to know like the amount of, uh, documentaries and tv shows which are based about serial killers and it's it's quite shocking when you think about it because lots of them are mainstream as well but it's just we seem to have this fascination with these people who i think do terrible things yeah and i think there's a reason for that though which i you know people people sometimes will, will criticize like oh america's fascinated with serial killers or people are fascinated with serial killers and it's like well but if you think about it right like serial killers are kind of the most I don't want to get morbid here, but they're kind of the most fascinating version of murder that's out there, right? Like, mm. if you tell me a story about, you know, a domestic disturbance that goes wrong and, you know, uh, you know, a husband shoots his wife or a wife shoots her husband, it's kind of like, okay, I, you know, I see what happened there and, all right, it's story's told, right? It's, and I'm not trying to make light of it or turn, downplay it, all murder is terrible, but it's sort of like there's just not much more to the story, right? Yeah. yeah. With the serial killer there is always the added element of the mystery, right? Yeah, exactly. People have that. If there's a bank robbery and somebody gets shot and killed, it's like, well, we know what happened. We know who did it. It was that bank robber. And eventually they usually find out who the bank robber was. But the serial killer, though, it can go on for weeks, months, years without knowing who it is. So it's not just this, it's not just, it's not the murder, I think, that yeah. attracts people. It's the mystery of it that you don't get with other kinds of murder. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a story, isn't it? You've got a big story, a mystery, which is ongoing. 
and can take in many different things. And yeah, it's I think that's you've hit the nail on the head there. It's 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 a mystery story, and people people like a good mystery, and they want to they want to try and solve it. I mean, like uh, Patton Oswalt's uh, uh, wife, who sadly passed away, though she was doing research on a book about a serial killer. I can't remember the name, but uh, killer, yeah, that's it. Yeah, but her and her research and everything did lead to a conviction years and years after. Yeah, the fact as well. So it's a, it's I think it's because people we're, we're fascinated by it, but you can also get involved in you know solving the clues and things like this. And right, it was, right. It's, right. Uh, There's almost an interactive element to it in a way. If it's a long running mystery where you're sort of like, well, you know, what about this? Did they think about this? And you can sort of follow along i guess which again mm. sounds kind of crass but i don't mean it to but you know yeah, it's a very morbid and macabre thing but it's uh it's it's just one which just seems to be well the fact we keep keep making them yeah there are so many good uh serial killer things but it's yeah right it was that's why it's probably a tricky list to do yeah, yeah. I think um, I think maybe some of my answers, my some of my listing ones are, are pretty um, obvious. But we do we do have a, a, a viewer comment um, from Jay who says it's the curiousness of it all, and I agree, Jay. Right? It, yeah. There, it, there is this like, like it's because beyond just the mystery of who's doing it, there's always these um, serial killer kind of hallmarks, right? There's this pathology to it that we don't understand, right? Why do they do it? How do they pick their victims? Are they taking trophies? All those things you've seen a million times in Hollywood movies and stuff that are true. You know, it's, you're very curious about like what kind of person would do that and why and how and all of that stuff. There's just so much more to, to want to know and understand about them. So yeah, yeah. good, good and point. It, and it's not just films and TV. There's so many genres. There's all the books about real and fictitious ones before and after the fact as well. And just the amount of podcasts out there which oh, yeah. deal with, True crime podcasts are, yeah. you know, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how much, uh, how many things are out there all around this subject matter. I mean, as the uh, the excellent Manhunter TV show as well, Mindhunter, yeah. sorry, that was, uh, which I hope we do one day get a see season three. But uh, yeah, because it's it's good because there's a fascination with the the actual crime and the the perpetrator of the crime, but also those investigating it. It's, you can have you can have a film dealing with one or the other or both, and it's still going to be. A fascinating watch right and yeah. you know i was thinking because the true crime podcasts are just so incredibly popular um i did want to make an announcement that starting next week after the ending was gonna be called after the murder uh, <laughs> and we're going to turn into a true crime podcast now so um we're not talking about movies anymore we're just going to talk about <laughs> we're going to solve cases together phil and mike uh you know inter-atlantic uh detectives yeah um, the new the new scooby gang yeah yeah so yeah, just something for you guys to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, we, we'd be I'd make dreadful. A great, we'd be I'd dreadful I'd be like, hey, um, do you guys notice that that person's got a knife sticking out of them? Did you did you look into that? Because that might be a clue. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> that, that's pretty much how it would go if I was a detective. I'd just be looking for the donuts. I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> Is there a, like a craft services table set up around the murder scene? How does that work? How do I get fed while I'm uh, dusting fingerprints? Yeah, we'll wait for the other podcasters to turn up. They'll solve it. <laughs> right, exactly. Okay. All right. So uh, let's get into our top five list and our top five serial killer films, shall we? Yeah, one thing before we do go, though, because uh, yes. we have a bit of discussion. It's, uh, it's not going to involve slasher movies because it's even though they – kill people in a serial kind of way it's a different kind of genre and we'll probably do a list about that at some point in the future and also there was like we talked about whether psycho should be in it or not which 
it can and it can't be, but it's a brilliant yeah. film anyway. So it's not going to be on our lists, even though it's brilliant. So it's an honorable mention. Yeah, I think we decided, like, I th probably a good chance we would have both had Psycho as number one, which just seems a little bit obvious. And again, it's it's like some people say it's the first slasher film. So on that hand, on that reason, it doesn't belong. Others could certainly make a case for it being a more traditional serial killer movie. Um, but I feel like Psycho kind of is, is its own. Like, it deserves its own category, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't, And I also don't think we need to like draw more attention to it and be like, Hey, if you haven't, you know, like you should, are you aware of this movie called psycho? Like, I feel like, it, you know, it, yeah. not, it doesn't deserve to be on the list because of that, because a lot of my movies are really famous ones, but I just, you know, it's like, okay, I don't know if we need to talk more about psycho. It's a film that's been discussed at length already, even on our show. So, um, yes, we decided to leave it off, but just know it's definitely. Yeah. In the pantheon. We put a pen and psycho on yeah. the, on the cork board with the red right. string going to all the other films and making, you know, the conspiracy and working out. Exactly. Cock in the end. That's what it was. Right. But uh, do you want to kick things off with your number five? Absolutely. So my number five is actually one that um, I'm not entirely sure fits the category, but I think it does. I mean, I'm, I'm well, I'm saying it does, but some people could argue that it, that it doesn't. Um, and it is a Dutch film from, I believe, 1988, uh, and it's called The Vanishing. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, and they remade it. There was a remake, a U.S. remake with Jeff Bridges and Kiefer Sutherland, which I actually like, even though they changed the ending. I think it's a, still a pretty good film. But the original, The Vanishing, um, is a really terrific, creepy movie. It's about this guy. He's like your your very normal, average, everyday. I think he's like a professor or something. And uh, he sort of becomes fascinated with like abducting a woman and like does all these like practice trial runs on like how to abduct her and like times everything and like uses what kind of different chemicals and all this stuff and um basically then he does abduct this woman and then the movie shifts to her uh i think they were boyfriend and girlfriend at the time or fiance or something like that and and he becomes obsessed with finding her um so in a way it's not a serial killer movie because there's not that many murders in the film we don't really know how many people he may or may not have killed but i feel like it's included because it's sort of like watching the birth of a serial killer right um yeah, yeah. there is this whole methodology that goes into it and i think that at the end of the movie you know i don't want to spoil anything so i won't say anything but you you could certainly make a case to say like hey if everything was to just continue on as it is in the beginning of the movie this guy would go on to kill many more people yeah, so. Um, and so to me it is very much like watching a serial killer practice which i think is fascinating and it's a really good film there's a neat uh criterion collection edition of the movie on blu-ray and dvd if you haven't seen it um if you've only seen the american version or if you haven't and you want to watch it it's still good but definitely the original the vanishing um is worth tracking down i i think it's an excellent film yeah good call yeah i'd say i i think it fits the criteria it's uh it's an it's a, i enjoy both versions Mm -hmm. Although, uh, I think the original one uh, just pips things to the post a bit. But yeah, good good film. And it's, yeah, as you say, it's like, it is like the birth of, of a serial killer. Yeah. Um, it's almost like he's just curious to see if he could do it. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's a good, good pick. Mine, number five, is uh, kind of a big film. It's, uh, yeah, was it? It's uh, 1991's The Silence of the Lambs, mm -hmm. which, as we all know, had... Uh, Anthony Hopkins is Dr. Hannibal Lecter, and that's often the focus of the film. But let's not forget he was only in it for like 12 or 13 minutes. But the main thrust of the film is Clarice Starling trying to track down the serial killer, Buffalo Bill, and we see uh, we see Bill uh, catch, uh, catching a new victim, uh, taking her back to his house, and 
torturing her and putting lotion, lotion in the basket and showing why he's doing it and some of the things which he gets up to. Uh, and it's it's oft, as often, I always feel like it's it's a brilliant film in so many ways, but I always feel like Buffalo Bill sort of gets overshadowed by the Hannibal Lecterbitz because, as, as I say, he's only in it for such a small amount. But the performance by, oh, I always forget his name. Hopkins. No, not Anthony Hopkins. Uh, oh, Ted uh, Levine as uh, Buffalo Bill. Jamie, Jamie Buffalo Bill Gum. I, I think his performance is amazing. And when I, I realised that the, the lead detective in the Monk TV show was the same guy, just I went, that, make, that couldn't be him. But yeah, he, it was a great performance, and it just shows how, because you realise that the guy uh, Buffalo Bill isn't actually, he's not that intelligent, but he's very intelligent when it comes to this particular aspect of the thing he's doing. And it's, it's just, it's good the way you see him, how he does, how he goes through the motions of what he does, and how he 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 tricks people into into like the police and the FBI into you know making them not think it's him, diverting them from it. And it's just I like the way as well how we see Jodie Foster uh, work it out and track him down as well. But I think I think it's a great portrayal of both the serial killer and the investigation into him as well. And then you've got Anthony Hopkins just being awesome doing his Hannibal Lecter. But that's my number five. Great choice. All right, well, my number four is from 1995, and it is probably the, I don't know, the biggest box office champ serial killer movie. Well, maybe not the biggest, but it's certainly up there. Uh, it is Seven, directed by David Fincher and starring Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. And boy, it is like, I, I was trying to think of like a movie that was like that successful, but it was like that grim dark. you know what I mean? And I yeah. don't know that I can think of any other ones. Like Seven is a dark, dark movie, you know, from start to finish. Uh, I mean, just the, some of the some some grisly murders. What's in the box? You know, I mean, all that <laughs> stuff. It is it is a dark film, and yet somehow uh, it is still just a really great, thrilling, engaging you know movie. Um, just uh, really twisted and and demented in some ways, but uh, basically it's it's a serial killer who's kind of reenacting the seven sins of man. Uh, and Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman are the detectives who are trying to stop him. Um, and uh, it has an, an uh, excellent uh, performance in it as well by Kevin Spacey. I know he is um, kind of persona non grata these days, but doesn't change the body of work that he turned in. And this was a uh, you know an excellent earlier performance from him. But um, yeah, I remember seeing this movie in theaters because obviously it was a big hit and everyone wanted to go see it. And I went and saw it and I was like, Wow, it's a little bit of a shell shock when you come out of that that theater watching that for the first time. Um, but I do think it's a great movie, and David Fincher's an excellent director. So uh, that's my number four, seven. Yeah, it's also my number four. Hey, look at that. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, I, as everything you said is true. It's uh, I love all the performances by everybody involved. I like the way as well. I mean, you're seeing all this, the dreadful things. Well, you don't even see half the dreadful things that uh, John, though, the serial killer, is doing, uh, but. You're seeing the aftermath. You're seeing the reactions of Pitt and, and Freeman, uh, but I also like the fact there's lots of times as well where it it's not just manic chasing after after the uh, the villain. There's lots of times where they're sat in like a cafe or in a library or in the office talking about that or talking about other things, which slows things down. It's just as you say, it's it's a grim, dark movie, uh, full of horrendous things. But it's just there's it's a worry. You can watch it again and again. It's one of those ones. Sometimes yeah. you go, somebody goes, you watch seven, and you go, well, uh, and then they, they start, and you, and you just get sucked into it. But right. I, I also like as well the, the reveal of you know, of the bad guy comes at a point when you don't expect it. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and there's some brilliant chasings. I love the fact that the city itself is like a, a character and it seems to be raining all the time yeah. until the end. I saw there was a good uh, YouTube video, I can't remember who did it though, but talking about how Seven could also be a prequel to Batman and it could be all set in Gotham City because I don't think they ever mention what city it's in. Um, mm. Kevin Spacey character could be like a proto Batman villain, but that's beside the point. But it's, uh, I just like the way they were doing it. But uh, yeah, it's just it's ultra stylish, but this, it just works so well. And the, the bit on the bed as well with its sloth. Yeah, sloth, every I, time, even though I know it's coming, I'm still going. I still every jump time. every time. Yep, every time. Yeah, but that's uh, yeah. I, I used to I joke for a long time after that movie came out that um, it was Andrew Kevin Walker, I think, is the name of the screenwriter, and I was like, like, how does that guy get a date? Like, I hope he's already married because like, imagine <laughs> being like, so what do you do? It's like, oh, I'm a screenwriter. Like, oh, any movies I've seen? Like, yeah, I wrote seven. I'd be like, okay, thanks, bye. Like, what? You know, like, because he comes up with such crazy ways to oh. kill a movie. You're like, who's gonna want to like go on a date with that guy? You know? Oh, totally. And then. Yeah, whenever he sent you a parcel, you just wouldn't want to open it. <laughs> right. What's in the box? <laughs> um, all right. So my number three is uh, from 1986, and it is related to a film that you mentioned, but different, and it is Manhunter. Um, and so Manhunter is the early version, the, the, the first screen version of um, Hannibal Lecter uh, with... with uh, William Peterson playing uh, Will Graham, uh, kind of the, the, the uh, investigator, and Brian Cox playing Hannibal Lecter. Uh, and it is based on the first book that had Hannibal Lecter in it, not the second book, which was Silence of the Lambs. So it's it's uh, kind of a separate storyline, uh, yeah. a separate version, I guess you could say. It's not like it's not like Silence of the Lambs was a sequel to Manhunter, although the stories are kind of you know loosely connected. Um, so, but. It was um, it was directed by Michael Mann, one of Michael Mann's earliest films, one of the few Michael Mann films I actually like, and um, it's uh, and William Peterson, who of course went on to be on CSI, playing an investigator. So there's a little connective tissue there as well. Uh, but it is kind of a neat. Um, it was remade also. The, the the version you might have seen was Red Dragon, which was remade by Brett Ratner, also one of the few Brett Ratner films that I like. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, it's just it's just it's just a cool different version of the Hannibal Lecter universe. It's a good story. Um, it's it, you know Manhunter and Silence of the Lambs are two of my favorite books of all time, uh, and so the movie versions, just by the nature of being such great stories, I think are are really great as well. So 1986 Manhunter, that's my number three. Yeah, it's a good pick as well. I do uh, I do like Brian Cox's portrayal of of Hannibal. It's it's different to Anthony Hopkins, but it's it's also. In some ways it's similar, but it's uh, he's more I don't want to say but more self assured or more Machiavellian, maybe. But no, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's one I need to watch it again to be honest. It's been, a, it's been a good few years since I've, I've seen it, so it'd be, it'd be good to watch, yeah, back to back. I've never done the two of them, yeah, for sure. And I also did like uh, Mads Mickelson as uh, the character in the Hannibal TV show, yeah, yeah. Okay, my number three is uh, one from uh, 1955. Directed by Charles Lawton and starring Robert Mitchum. It's The Night of the Hunter, which is one of the best black and white films of all time. Also, Charles Lawton's one and only uh, directing jobs, even though he's a great actor as well. But he did this because I think it was slated by critics at the time. I think I'm right. I think I'm right. But anyway, Robert Mitchum is playing uh, a preacher, or is he a preacher? He has the famous photo uh, image of him with their love and hate tattooed 
on his uh, knuckles and he has a whole speech which you hear a few times in there but he's, he basically marries women for the money and then murders them and then moves on to the next one uh, but he is arrested at one point and shares a cell with uh, a man who has talked about some money he's got and it's hidden the money but only two kids know about it so Robert Mitchum's character tracks down the kids and then ends up uh, getting involved with the mother and it just goes on from there and it becomes a chase thing but it's it just looks gorgeous it's got uh, very theatrical in a way especially with the way the sets are made but the lighting is just brilliant it uses black the fact it's black and white is just it just looks gorgeous if you do you want to if you're a fan of films anyway or like filmmaking it's just it's just just beautiful because it's it's almost like it's using the the visuals of a silent film uh, but connecting it with a you know a talkie as it were but it's it's great robert mitchum is a brilliant actor anyway but he's just so good as this charismatic preacher who when he's doing these talks and you can see him convincing people and you as the viewer just going no get away from him but even every now and again you still go but yeah he's got a point but uh yeah and he's chasing him down and the kids are trying to tend it turns into almost like a fairy tale he's like the big bad wolf or one of the other bad guys from a fairy tale but it's it's just a stunning film well worth a watch even if you're not typically a fan of a black and white film uh just track it down check it out i'm sure there's been some reissues over the past few years but i can't quite remember but uh yeah that's my number three uh the night of the hunter good yeah yeah definitely a film that is uh, a great film and, and has been lauded by critics over the years as being a, one of the great films from that time period so it did not make my list mostly because it's been so long since i've seen it <clears throat> i can't really um I'm like I'm. I'm pretty sure I've seen the whole thing, but I can't remember because it's been so long. So I'm kind of. I didn't want to put it on there and then be speaking. Yeah, it's, it's kind of one of those films where you probably people have probably seen bits of it. Yeah. Often on a lot when I was younger, and it's always it's often mentioned on films on TV shows and documentaries about films as well. But yeah, I know I've seen parts of it for sure, and I think I've watched it the whole way through. But again, not in you know 20 years or more. So uh, well, definitely one I've been meaning to revisit though. Yeah. Yeah. All right, my number two is the second film on my list by David Fincher, and it is Zodiac, starring Robert Downey Jr. and Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, and it is a you know dramatized version of the famous Zodiac killings uh, in California in the 1970s. Um, and it is David Fincher at his most Fincherist, I think, in a way, and just in terms of like, the, um, you know, because it's based on a true story, which he doesn't usually do. It's he's so exacting with his detail, you know, and it's a period piece. So like, just the the production design, the the costumes, the cars, the hairstyles, like everything is down to the letter, like perfect 1970s. Um, and it's just a, you know, it's it's a it's just a really riveting film. It does it. I don't want to say it doesn't try to solve the crime, but it, it doesn't. It doesn't give you any definitive answers as to who the Zodiac is. It certainly throws its hat in the ring as saying, hey, we're leaning heavily towards this person. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but it's not like a, hey, you know, we solved this crime. It's definitely, uh, you know, just kind of like a, doc, a, a dramatization of all of the events that happened in the investigation. And it's such a fascinating story the Zodiac killer, you know, even though the body count was pretty low compared to other serial killers, it's just the whole craziness of it all and the Zodiac and the letters and all that stuff um, is fascinating. And Fincher just captures it brilliantly and the performances are great and it's, it's suspenseful and scary at times. And it's beautifully shot and well acted. And um, I just think it's terrific. So Zodiac is my number two. 
A great film, yeah. It was almost made my list, but not quite. But uh, I'm glad it was on yours. Yep. Um, my number two is... Uh, it might, might be on your list, I don't know. But my number two is a film from 2001. It was uh, Bill Paxton's directorial debut. And he, he also starred in it, along with Matthew McConaughey and Powers Booth. But it is Frailty, <laughs> which uh, I just think is an absolutely amazing film. But it's Bill Paxton plays this religious, fanatical father of Matthew McConaughey's character. We see them first as uh, young kids, but he's Bill Paxton's the father who claims he's on a mission from God to strike down demons, and it's all very, he finds an axe, and it's meant to have been sent by God, and the demons are people, but it's it's showing what he did to go around and get these people, and how he killed them, and how he disposed of them, and then it shows how the effects it has on the two, his two children, his two sons, and how they grow up with it, and, and they end up becoming a part of their father's uh, madness, as it were, but uh, and how that how that affects them, and how one of them moves on or doesn't. And then we have Powers Booth, who's always brilliant as the FBI agent tracking them down. But I really, I remember seeing this once, didn't know much about it, apart from I knew Bill Paxton from Aliens and, um, you know, everything else, because he's so good. And I remember just watching and just getting blown away from it because I didn't know anything about it. And then when you, you're watching it first and going, oh, this is this is okay. This is what's going on. Oh, oh, no. And you realize what's happening and what's going to happen. And it's, it's a few twists and turns as well. And I just, it's a brilliant film. Uh, I'm sure lots of you will have seen it, but uh, it's not one which really went across the mainstream, I don't think. It's sort of probably a bit more better well-known in a cult film or a different kind of thing. When is a cult film not a cult film? Sorry about that. Calling in with an that's my phone. Sorry about yeah. that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, I, that's uh, that's my number two. Uh, it's a brilliant film. If you haven't seen it, find it and watch it because it's it's fantastic. I, I So I, I love Frailty, and I, I know it definitely has been on the show a few times before. I'm pretty sure it's in our top ten list for that year. Uh, and it's a film I, I really enjoy and I have an affinity for. And I, I considered it for this list, and I ultimately didn't put it on there. Um, and I think the reason I said not to was I – and in my mind, I don't think I quite think of it as a serial killer film. It certainly is, but it, it's more a film about the the – the madness and the you know the fam family relationships and stuff like that than it is to me like when I think of a serial killer film. Not to say it shouldn't have been on your list because I oh, no. thought about putting it on mine. I just when I looked at the films, I was kind of like the ones I picked are I think a little more traditional serial killer movies. Yeah. I think so. That's that was the only reason I didn't put it on there. But I, I do love that movie. So yeah, okay, I understand that. Yeah, because it's more it is more like of a more like a horror movie, right? Like, of it, yeah, but it's not yeah. a slasher movie. Or right, a slasher movie. It could have been turned like Bill Paxton's character could have been. It could have been filmed as a slasher movie as well. Right. It? Yeah, it's an interesting yeah. cross mix of genres. Um, so, but like I said, in my mind, I think I went with a more traditional view. Mm -hmm. So, but I did think about it. I thought about yeah. it, and I, I hemmed and hawed. <laughs> um, all right. So my number one uh, has already appeared on your list, and if you listen to my when I comments on a previous film of my own, it should come as no surprise. It is. Silence of the Lambs, mm -hmm. uh, which to me is just kind of the, the the king, the granddaddy of all the serial killer movies. Uh, everything you said, I agree with, um, and you're right. Like in how Buffalo Bill does get overshadowed by Hannibal Lecter, um, but there, it's it's just such a perfect movie to me. It works on so many levels. Like you know, Jodie Foster is amazing, and her 
in her investigation is a bigger part of the movie than you remember. Like when people think of Silence, yeah. they remember Hannibal Lecter. But when you watch the movie, it really is fascinating watching her track down this Buffalo Bill killer. And then Buffalo Bill is like is this fascinating you know character, uh, like you said, played by Ted Levine in just such a creepy way. You know, and then, and then there's the whole then there is the Hannibal Lecter stuff, and then you've got Scott Glenn as the FBI agent. You've got Clarice as you know. What's interesting is she's not just like a seasoned FBI veteran; she's like a rookie agent in training type character and that's a whole nother level to it so like it just works on so many levels and it's just so memorable and so enjoyable to watch um even though it's a dark film uh but yeah i just i absolutely love it. it's one of my favorite movies of all time uh i forget where it came in on my list but i'm pretty sure it was on my top 20 films of all time when we did that way back when uh so of course it had to be my number one so there you go silence of the lambs an excellent choice it's, it's a good point it is one of those films where I've seen it lots of times as well, but every time I do watch it, I sort of kind of, I've forgotten it. Like you, you forget how much of the investigation is and lots of the different scenes because your your mind just does go to like the scenes with Hannibal, uh, the scenes with uh, Buffalo Bill, yep. uh, the, the basket and, you know, trying on clothes and things. Right. But it's, yeah, this because it's so, it's, it's a, it's a long film as well, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a brilliant film and always worth a watch, but it's, uh, I'm glad it was on your list and it's your number one. Yeah. Um, my number one is a film which uh, from 2018. I think I mentioned. I might have mentioned it in one of the videos. The videos. Okay. I can't remember, but it's it's uh, an indie film, and it's the Clovis Killer. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. It stars Dylan McDermott and Charlie Plummer, Samantha Mathis, and Madison Beatty. But it's it's quite a simple film. It's a small film, but it's a family who uh, uh, mother, father, son, and daughter. Uh, from a religious kind of uh, neighborhood. They all go to church every Sunday. The dad helps out. He's a scout leader. Uh, and everybody likes him. The father helps out and everything. But the son, there's also, there was mention years before of a, of a serial killer uh, who's going around uh, called the Clovis Killer because of a knot. He leave because of the knots he did. Uh, but then he stopped. But then the son starts realizing things about the father. And he's not sure whether his dad could actually be the Clovis killer. And it's about him, the son, investigating it, but doesn't want his dad to know about it and finding out things. And you're like, it's just what's good about it. And what I really like about it is it shows it's probably one of the serial killer movies. It shows one of the more true to life portrayals of a serial killer, as it were, because it shows they are just a person like you or me or the neighbor or. The, the person you see walking down the street and it just shows the banality of it behind their life and what it is and how like whatever whatever causes them to do it is just like a little kink here and there a little turn and they end up they have these urges and things where they have to go and do it. but you're watching it from the viewpoint you're with the, the viewpoint of the son as well as he's learning it and he's talking to his dad because he wants to find out but his dad is the person he loves and trusts and he wants to talk about it with him but it's Dad's the one who could be this thing, and you're just there going, "Don't, don't do it, don't do it." And you're going, "Well, does the dad got onto it? Is he a serial killer, or is it all in his head?" And the way it's done is just brilliant. Dylan McDermott is just stunning in it. It's uh, watch the film; it's just brilliant. It's so well done, and it's uh, yeah. I've been meaning to watch it. It's been on my list for a while. I've heard very good things about it. I just have not gotten to it yet, but I do really want to watch it. So uh, when I get to it, I'll, I'll update you guys as to whether it you know supplants anything on my list. Yeah, it, it might not, but it's just it, it. Even that, it's just it's just a well-made film, small film, but it's just it's just this 
the way a, a normal life the way it's the way life can be normal but you know but some people have secrets and they're hidden away and it's just right. yeah you don't you sort of you, you want to find out the secret but you don't because you know how bad it will be right That's my number one the clove I, I like it all right, so there you go. That is our top five serial killer movies. Uh, dark subject, but also just, you know, some good movies. So uh, but let's move on to happier things. Let's move into our ATE Recommends segment where we talk about things that we're digging on right now. Yeah, uh, mine is the big book of serial killers. No, it's not. <laughs> things we like uh, to watch and read and listen to and eat and do all kinds of stuff with right now. So... Uh, ATE recommends. I guess I should go first because I made no wait. I started the list, right? Yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, but you went, you went first last time. No, yeah. I went first last time on the recommendation, so you could first now. I'll do it then. So I only have one today, and it's an easy one, but I have to mention it. It is the new Weezer album, Van Weezer. Oh, uh, I love me some Weezer. I'm a diehard Weezer fan. I have been for years and years, but their new album, Van Weezer, is kind of a tribute to 80s rock, which I've been really into lately ever since I read that book that I recommended a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's kind of like a tribute to like the van bands like Van Halen and, and those 80s bands, the big power rock stuff. So it still definitely sounds like Weezer, but you can see the influences of the 80s music um, in the songs. And, and not only in their sound, but also some of the lyrics. There's a great song, the last track, called Precious Metal Girl. It's all about falling in love with the girl who's into metal. And he says, you look like you could be in Faster Pussycat with your leather jacket with the patches on the back. Like, <laughs> it's just great. Um, it's a fun album. It's really upbeat and energetic. And if you like Weezer at all, uh, I can't recommend this one highly enough. And if you like Weezer and 80s rock music, you really enjoy Van Weezer. So check it out. Okay, I'll have to listen to that because I'm trying to I'm trying to imagine what a Weezer doing 80s rock would sound like. So I want to I want to know. It sounds like Weezer, just like with their amps turned up to 11. You know what I okay, mean? Cool. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll have a listen. Okay, well I've got two. Both of them are books. Both of them are kind of based around role playing games. I know I've been doing a few ones, <laughs> but uh, I do like a bit of H.P. Lovecraft and Call of Cthulhu. And this one is a cookbook um, because oh. of what's been going on. Lots of people stuck in the houses, so lots of cooking. But this one is called. The neck, the necro nom nom nom. <laughs> That's awesome. I think is brilliant, but it's got a gorgeous cover. Yeah, it's look all at that. shiny and it's all raised and everything. But it's by Mike Slater, and it's recipes and rights from the law of H.P. Lovecraft. And it's just if you like puns, it's full of puns based around Lovecraft and food. You got the uh, trying to find some hundred people would know. Uh, to call forth the sandwich horror. Yeah, <laughs> the fate of the elder things, curried favor of the old ones. Uh, yeah, Shagulath. But it's good as well because the recipes, you got all this creepy artwork as well. Oh, yeah. That creepy artwork. But the recipes are all done in the style as if it was an investigator from an H.P. Lovecraft book. So it's it's like prepare a large glass, bless it with the touch of a thin tendril of wasabi. Hmm. You're not completely encircle the rim as this will allow revelers to imbibe as much or as little. But it's all done like that. And it's just got creepy artwork, creepy descriptions, but it also has all the recipes at the back as well uh, in great detail. But it's it's a lot of fun. If you know somebody who likes H.P. Lovecraft and Call of Cthulhu and cooking, it's got cocktails, main courses, desserts, what have you. It's all good. And my second book is the new Dungeons & Dragons source book, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, which is all to do with... Uh, oh, the, I've seen that. Yeah, the Dread Domains or Domains of Dread which many of you will know from uh, the Curse of Strahd adventure. He's in it, but lots of other, there's all these other domains, which I think it's 40 altogether, all going from 
cosmic horror to serial killer horror to clockwork horror, basically every type of horror, but it also gives you details on how to make your own domain of dread and also your dark lord, because all these domains of dread are basically prisons for dark lords, and it, it just has all these charts and things to do about that. So it's good for role-playing games, not just Dungeons and Dragons, but anyone if you want a bit of horror but also if you're a writer and you want some different ways of coming up with a bad guy you know in fantasy or sci-fi uh it's worth that but it's uh it's out now on dnd beyond and obviously books and yeah that's my recommendation very cool all right well there you go that was a, a nice dark recommendation ending to a dark episode, I guess. So. <laughs> yes, yeah, unintentional, but yes. Yeah, very cool. All right, so there you go. Our top five list, our recommendations. That's going to start to wrap up our post-credits episodes. So uh, we're going we're gonna to finish things up, I think. We've, we've been talking long enough for now. So yeah. uh, as always, thank you to those of you who joined in live and commented. Uh, thank you to all of you who are listening and or watching after the fact. Um, but this is going to do us for now. So as always, Thanks again for listening and watching. And I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next time. After the ending.